Every team, every topic, everywhere. This is Believe. Hello and welcome to the Football Grad Podcast. I'm your host Manuel Fete and we're finally back on the show. Russian football is back. We have lots of interesting things to discuss. First and foremost, we are not going to reveal where Lionel Messi is going to go. That's a different show or a different day. But I know a man who is 100% convinced, 100% convinced he's willing to bet his house, his family, his car everything on this that Lionel Messi is going to go to Tumen and this man is Andrew Flint from Tumen you guys might think he's a little crazy but you know he's living in been living in Siberia for a while he's just different um, Andrew how is it going and I, I mean I can't believe you're betting all this money on it this seems insane <laughs> well I mean thanks very much for reassuring everybody how how normal I am. You've just pointed out I'm living in Siberia for so long, so that's, that's not really going to help my cause, is it? But I'm, I'm well, other than that. Um, I'm not too bad. It's great to be back on. It's been, been far too long, hasn't it, boys? Um, but, uh, you know, on the Lionel Messi thing, let's be honest, it makes perfect sense. He needs a challenge, and trust me, if there's a challenge in football, it's to get two men promoted, so that fits the bill. Is two men going to be willing, though, to spend the entire GPA of the entire region on this one player? <laughs> Well, um, you have to understand has the highest uh, standard of living in the as the indexes that they use to judge these things um, in Russia outside Moscow and St. Petersburg. Uh, it is one of the richest regions in Russia. Um, it's the fastest growing city. It is officially the greatest city on earth, according to the Tumen regional government. Um, so, you know, we can sell, we can make a deal, we can sell shares in the club to him and which is worth, obviously, hundreds of millions. So I think it will be very manageable, Manu. Okay, coming down and down, coming down uh, your pathway is uh, human going to be bankrupted by signing one individual football player. Um, knowing about all the madness in Siberia is a man from Siberia, Tim, living in Vancouver now. How is it going, Tim? Happy hello from the top of the table. My club is on the first place. I'm very glad to start the podcast with the most important bit of the information. Happy hello. Uh, it's really nice to be on the top of the table ahead of Zenit St. Petersburg. Life is great and I'm very happy to be part of this podcast, especially because we're going to talk about the table and about the team which is leading the Russian Premier League currently. Welcome to the show. Okay, before we start talking about more about Lionel Messi, tell me again who's on the top of the table at the Russian Premier League. Just yeah, to make I sure. didn't catch that either. No, yeah, I... yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, so if the listeners just really got distracted, I just want to make sure that you know that Spartak Moscow is number one position in the Russian Premier League uh, before this li uh, Nations League or whatever the, the tournament is, the cup. Just to make sure you, you, you catch it. Spartak Moscow, number one position. Thank you. <laughs> and because the Russian Premier League is also the currently the only really big domestic league playing, and that means they're number one in the world, right? 
Uh, this is absolutely correct. Thank you very much for for stating this obvious fact. This it's is great. Undisputed fact. You heard it here first. Patrick Moscow is the greatest team in the world. Um, I don't even know how to top this. So we're going to go back to Chuman. To we have the greatest team in the world and the greatest city in the world. Um, fantastic transfer news coming your way from Chuman. This is literally the only last time we're going to speak about Chuman on this show and probably every other show that we're ever going to do. So. I'm sorry, listener. If you're still with us at this point, you have done very well. But um, Chuman, Andrew, you signed some strange fellow from South Africa who was actually um, Russian. I mean... <laughs> I, I don't even know where to start with this one. Um, so, yes, Chuman have signed uh, Grigory Grishin um, from... Uh, Jomo Cosmos in Johannesburg in South Africa. He's been playing in South Africa for four years. Now, I, I'm relatively sure that he is one of very few, possibly the only Russian to have played in South Africa. I stand to be corrected on that one. Um, I did a little digging, actually, into some other um, strange locations. And apparently in the 1980s, there were some players who played in Bangladesh from the Soviet Union. Um, so that's probably a little bit more extreme. But anyhow, this Grigory Grishin is a 22-year-old uh, defender. He's played the last two years for Jomo Cosmos. And he, his father ran marathons and spent time in South Africa training and competing. And that's why the family moved there. Hence, Grigory played uh, for a South African club. So um, I'm looking very much looking forward very much to, to seeing this Grecian in action. Uh, hopefully I'll interview him myself. I'm assuming after four years he's picked up some English. Um, so, I mean, Chumen are already unbeaten. I'd just like to mention, we may not be quite like Spartak at the top of the Russian Premier League, but we're on our way. We're unbeaten. Um, we haven't lost a single game all season so far. And now we've got a, a player with top-flight African football experience. So, Pretty much guaranteed that Chumana getting promoted uh, as, as long, you know, when Messi joins as well, he'll be joining a title winning side. So, um, yeah, exciting, bizarre destination and, and places come from. So, Gregory Gishin, welcome to Chuban. Okay. Uh, I, I, I'm lost for words because I had been trying to find out if he's actually the only Russian. I might have to get back to you on this because we have this somewhere in the database, I am sure. I might be able to mm -hmm. dig this up at some point during this show. Um, so stay tuned on whether he was the only Russian to ever play there. But before we, you know, talk and just dig a little bit into more into South African football, we should probably wrap up some really other exciting transfer news and actually probably transfer news that people are listening to the show find interesting. Uh, I'm sorry, Andrew, but <laughs> yeah, Grigory Gishin is not exactly the top of our table. But um, should be, yeah, <laughs> I know. We know that human, uh, human is priority number one. But boys, um, this one actually got me excited, and I know there is some varying opinions about the amount of money that his new team paid paid for him. Um, Atalanta signed Alexei Miranchuk. We don't often get to talk about Russian players leaving the Russian Premier League. Um, during the prime at a point of their career where they should have gone abroad. Um, I, we spent a lot of this time on the show talking about players not going abroad at the right time. It's waiting for too long because they're too expensive. They 
don't want to leave the Russian lifestyle. And, you know, the list is very long, but uh, Tim, this is in so many ways such an exciting move because we've all watched Atalanta play. They scored over 100 goals in Serie A last season. I think in the top five leagues, the, the only team that to do so other than Liverpool and Bayern Munich. And he's now going to join what is a very interesting project, an up-and-coming team in Europe, is going to play in the Champions League, play in the Serie A, which in my opinion is one of the best leagues in, in Europe. This is a fantastic move for everyone involved. Um, maybe not quite enough money paid. We'll get to that when Andrew gets to speak his bit, but this is a fantastic move, isn't it not? Yeah, I'll talk a little bit about the, the footballing side of things, and then Andrew can complain about the money. But uh, I think that, uh, like you said, it's a very exciting move. Uh, not many uh, young, young Russian players are going abroad, but uh, Alexei Miranchuk, um, he is definitely one of the most talented uh, players of his generation. Uh, we've been hearing about him and his brother. He has a twin brother whose name is Anton uh, for a while. Uh, it seemed like Alexei had a little bit of a better head start ahead of his brother, and he is the the one who left Lokomotiv to uh, to Atalanta. And I think this is a very uh, interesting and probably the right move for him. When he spoke uh, in a farewell speech uh, to the fans, he said that he won everything. He played in Champions League and he made uh, to the Russian national team. And to be honest, I think that's, yeah, that's obviously that's right. But that kind of summarizes his uh, step uh, right now because, yeah, he won the league with, uh, with Lokomotiv. Um, he played in, in Europe. He plays for the national team. He played the World Cup. So uh, pretty much he achieved everything in Russia. And usually at this point, uh, players go... Zenit St. Petersburg can offer them significantly more money than um, than than other uh, clubs in Russia. So he didn't do that, but there was a talk that he potentially could have gone to Zenit, but he joined Atalanta. And I think this is a very exciting and interesting move because apparently he also was in, uh, he, there was interest from Juventus and Milan, but I think Atalanta is the team for him. He is young, modern player, very technical, very creative. But also the good thing that Gasperini at Atalanta, he uses a fairly big uh, scope of players. He doesn't use, um, you know, just like 12 or 14 players. And he, he rotates the squad. And they will also have quite, obviously, they will have Champions League again. They will have the league, the um, Coppa Italia. So there will be enough games that he will uh, get uh, a chance. And also another good news that uh, there will be another uh, Russian-speaking player. His name is Malinovsky, who has already made a name in Atalanta, and even he is Ukrainian. Uh, like I said many, many times, uh, it's only on a political stage that you know Russians and Ukrainians have problem. In real life, I'm sure there will be you know buddies, and he will help him uh, to adjust uh, to Italian life and probably to help him settle and maybe you know show him around just really to help with the basic stuff. So this is on all, all, all in all exciting transfer from the footballing life um he's little he had a bit of a injury uh, when he played uh, one of his final games uh, probably his final game he played against Spartak and he had uh, the um uh, an injury like a muscle injury will probably keep him out for two three weeks but he probably will start training with them after the national team break and um well, I think it's a very exciting transfer. One of the most talented players goes into a very exciting team, which I think suits his style. And now it's just him. He just has to show his level. So, Andrew, go ahead complaining about the money. 
<laughs> I have to be the misery guts here, don't I? Um, no, I mean, Tim, you summed up extremely well. I think I think the one thing that a lot of people outside regular Russian football followers don't understand is why we're so excited to see this happen. Most people say you're losing your, one of your best players, arguably the best player in your league. Why are you excited? Well, because it's a. It, it, this is a real potential in this move. A lot of Russians chose not to or were unable to move abroad, and I'm delighted to see him tested. And I think it is the perfect move. I genuinely think it's the best club he could have gone. It's the right type of league. They play a really interesting technical attacking brand of football and I genuinely think he has the quality to to get into that side at some point he'll have to earn his place um, but what we hopefully will see is Milanchuk develop into an even better player and the best Russian players continue to go to even better leagues but for that reason we've got to bear in mind Milanchuk is about the most marketable Russian player around at the moment and um, very few you could argue are worth more um, and for 14 million euros, for me, sounds a very, very low fee. I mean, what can Lokomotiv bring in to replace him? I mean, OK, they may say, well, we're going to play without Gemma Letdinov instead, who's been decent. Uh, Dmitry Rybczynski has played a bit this season from the youth setup as well. Um, but are they really in the Alexei Midanchuk class? You've got to remember, this is a team who are going to be in the Champions League. Um, and I think it's a bit silly to sell your best player and not replace him but what can you replace for for 40 million i just i just don't think it makes any sense for it yes minanchuk wanted to go and to be fair to him he's not really made a lot of noise in the past or complained so you can't begrudge him the move but i do think loco could have could have bargained for a lot more given that atlanta in the champions league and uh, will have i would imagine sources because they have a strict wage bill there as well and um, so they don't splash money around wastefully um but overall if you get if you conclude all the factors the, the the skill level of Miranchuk the opportunity to showcase the best Russian talent and the transfer fee I think overall I, I'm still really happy I'm still really delighted to see him and I, I just cannot wait to see how he does getting into that side because it could potentially be extremely exciting yeah, so I, I covered that transfer for um, Transfermarkt and um, I actually think that 14.5 million euros is, is is good money, especially because I think that there is bonuses involved as well and that will get him up, that will get the price up to about market value and I, you have to, you have to um, sort of understand the position that Russian players have put themselves in, right? The fact is that they, the market values in a lot of places in Europe isn't that high because they have been so difficult to obtain and so unwilling to leave Russia, right? So I actually think that this is this is a good deal all around and Lokomotiv are getting a good amount of money. Um, it's the second highest fee that they've ever received uh, behind Uman Nyasa. Um, remember him? He's played for Everton and never really fully fulfilled his potential. So this is a significant amount of money in the context of what Russian teams have received from from teams from abroad. So I, I think, you know, in that regard, it's probably pretty close, um, especially once bonuses kick in. Uh, I also need to say real quick, I made a little mistake. Um, Atalanta did not score 100 goals, he scored 98. But 
you know, that just shows you that they are a very open, free-flowing, playing side. Uh, I had the privilege to watch them in the Champions League and thought that they were quite excellent in that. Maybe just ran out of steam a little bit when they played PSG in the last 10 minutes, just hanging in the ropes. And this is a team that, and a club that, that is going places. And he's he's been given an opportunity to grow with a club that's still growing. And I think this this is exciting. Um, I think this is probably one of the most exciting transfers I've ever covered um, since I've covered covered Russian football, but also since I um, have started working in transfer market, especially because this is like one of those rare instances where you have first-hand information, right? Oftentimes you you kind of deal with information that is already passed on when you work for transfer markets. Every once in a while you get you get to be the breaker of, of our news like that and being one of the people who first report about this um was very exciting and yeah I, i'm really looking forward to this one um it's it's definitely a lot more exciting than uh reporting wong imbom to kazan even though he has scored there but yeah <laughs> <laughs> you guys heard my opinion awesome. about this transfer off off air and i think we're gonna leave it off air but um before we go to referees and polygraph tests, I know this is on the list. Don't worry, we'll get to it. Um, I think we kind of just need to preview this one because I have no idea what's happened there. We need to go to Gustiel to Freiburg. This is another one that where I wrote a story. It's been reported a lot in German media. Um, from my understanding is a medical has been passed. He was Spartak Moscow's record transfer last summer. But... Tim, never really quite, you know, I remember talking a lot about him last year, really putting him up on a pedestal, never really quite worked out there. Um, this is a good opportunity maybe for him to just get some playing time again, eh? Yeah, I think he just needs a little bit, um, a little restart of his career. Uh, when he arrived, he was uh, very impressive. Um, but he, when he arrived, uh, Alek Kononov uh, was at the helm at Spartak, and he played a slightly di a different system. He played four-two-three-one, and the Gustil was that one of the attacking players, and um, he was impressive. He had a couple of very good games, and from watching him play, I saw that yeah, there's a player of very high quality and um, uh, talent but once uh, Domenico Tedesco arrived he had an injury and then he uh, now Spartak plays 5-3-2 uh, 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 and uh, the player who is really there's only one position um, as uh, pretty much almost like number 10 or number 9 position playing like uh, a person behind strikers it's uh, Spartak's probably the most current talented uh, player uh, Zelimhan Bakayev and to be fair, Zelimhan Bakayev just has been um, better and he has been provided some very important results. Even after he uh, had um, coronavirus, uh, he still, you know, had quite a few games. Uh, Gustil uh, had a, a few games and had some playing time, but he wasn't impressive. I don't know if it's just the confidence, if it's just he doesn't feel the part of the team or um, maybe a combination of things, but really, like, he started very, very strong, but as of right now, he doesn't really impress. And especially he came on, he had very little uh, moments of time. But in the last game, before we uh, moved to the uh, national team's break, he got a chance to play 30 minutes. And unfortunately, he got such a just like really unlucky um, 
injury. He sprained his ankle. He will be out for the next three weeks. But really, I was really, I got excited because I like him. I, I see the potential. I think maybe he needs a little bit of confidence and maybe a couple of good games and then it might come back. But really, when he had an opportunity to play almost the, whole, the full half, he pretty much injured himself in like about seven to ten minutes and he was subbed off, which was really, really unlucky. It just seems like it's not going well for him. That's why I think it makes sense that potential uh, loan to Freiburg is for two years. And uh, his agent said that uh, not Gustil and not Spartaka even considering the sale. It's just a loan. So I think obviously he's on good money because he's the record ever transfer. So I think they still want to go abroad, maybe try the new career and maybe come back in a couple of seasons and see what kind of coach will be in charge, what system the team will be playing and if there's a spot for him. But I definitely like him. I see there's a potential for him. And maybe this uh, two-year transfer to Bundesliga uh, will help him. And maybe he will come back uh, to Spartak a stronger player. Or maybe um, continue his success, and if it, if it will be a success in Bundesliga, and transfer to one or another Bundesliga club. So for me, I said to see him go, but I think he needs it. Because really, it has not been going well. And just lots of unlucky things happened to him. Um, yeah, like a few small injuries, being really like competing with the Spartak's most talented uh, player who will be our probably the most uh, you know important player for the seasons to come. It just really didn't go well from from the start, and I just wish him well. I I would like to see him succeed, and especially in Spartak, but he needs this loan. Yeah, I think that going to Freiburg, it's a club that sets up very well for younger players. It's twenty two. Um, can play, you know, that, that central midfield role. And I think um, they play a very adventurous style of football there. And I think that you can, as a, as such, um, you know, if it goes really well over the next two years, Freiburg might buy him or someone else might, right? That's always, yeah. that's always another option. If going back to Russia isn't becoming an option. Maybe someone else um, will spot him at Freiburg and buy him. Um, so this is an interesting, it's a great move for Freiburg to land a player like that. I think, you know, for yeah. for a smaller, really small club in the Bundesliga, this is a player that's really going to help them. And um, I think this is this is going to be an interesting one to watch over, you know, <laughs> going to cover him, of course, over on the Gegenpressing podcast. So um, definitely uh, going to be interesting to keep an eye out on him. Um, I'm, I'm trying to see which system Freiburg plays on transfer market here. It looks like yeah, they play like the same four kind of three three position, four three three. And yeah, and I think that position suits him. So yeah, Streich is a very cultivated coach. You know, he plays very cultivated style of football. Um, Freiburg always had the the nickname on Freiburg and in Germany is die Breisgau Brasilianer, so the the Brazilians from no. the Breisgau, right? So I I think this is he's going to be. A success. Um, nice. I, I, I'm looking forward to see him in the Bundesliga for sure. Um, Strandberg back. Now we can skip that one. Let's go to the polygraph test. <laughs> uh, I, I'm way oh, more curious about that, Andrew, because you put the polygraph test on the document. And I feel like before we talk about Russia, maybe we'll talk about Strandberg. No promises though. That polygraph test. How, how come that isn't short news? That should be in main news. Well, to be honest, I genuinely don't know what to make of all this. Okay, we'll start from the beginning very briefly. 
there was there've been so many refereeing mistakes that have been magnified in well for a long time I guess but this season in particular and Sparta played Sochi <laughs> well when I say mistakes I mean uh, it I don't know if mistake is quite the right word intentional or not and that is the main issue here the Sparta Sochi game Sparta played Sochi pretty much off the park but were they yes. conceded two penalties I mean it was it was it was they were by far the better side and I'm not just saying that just to make Tim feel even better than he already feels at being top of the table. In case anybody didn't know, Sparta are <laughs> top of the table. Um, but Sparta have been flying going forwards, not quite closing out games. But this second penalty was uh, against Sochi. It was uh, clearly not a penalty. Gross. You could see from the replays. It was a very, very poor decision. And um, the, the referees, uh, well, uh, how should we say this, impartiality is... His um, judgment was called into question and uh, allegedly he was told and made to take a polygraph test. Now that, just that as a concept, I have problems with. Not because I think he made a mistake, because he clearly made a mistake. I mean, anybody, whatever your allegiance can see, he made a mistake. Um, it was not the right decision. But the obvious, the obvious implication is that it was assumed that he might have done it on purpose. I don't really know... Um, how you can do this because you've now got to give polygraph tests to every baseball decision in my opinion you can't do it for one team and not for everybody else but if you go down that road suddenly referees are just going to feel completely undermined and then in one sense they all they've got to be challenged they've got to be pushed to do their job correctly but i'm not sure this is the right way to do it um i just i'm worried about the road we're going down with this um so yeah um the the referee in, in charge he he failed this polygraph test so now uh, Tim I'll be interested to see what your opinion is on what should happen um, at this stage what the punishment should be and he should be punished in my opinion you know you've got to be held accountable um, but what do you think Tim yeah just to, to just to add so the main referee Kazantsev who made the decision he he passed the test but the uh, video assistant referee failed it and he failed it on the question not regarding this game he failed the question that if he ever uh, took money as a payment for uh, any refereeing and it's a weird question because yeah because it's, it's his job so he gets money refereeing so it's a very strange uh, question but the way the this test works that they ask a whole bunch of different questions in like in a different way so apparently he failed that question but again like the way the question is worded that uh, have you ever taken money for refereeing and like yeah yeah he says yes so he said yes uh, implying that uh, you know that he took the money for making some favorable decisions in one way or the other. That's kind of like, that's the implement, uh, uh, like allegedly that's what's implied. Um, but yeah, like uh, this is considered that he might be even uh, <clears throat> going to be banned. And uh, I think they're going to do one more test on him and maybe that's how they're going to save him. But um, yeah, I also not sure, like, I don't even know what, like I haven't, haven't heard about this test. Even before like this whole thing started with the referees, I didn't know what this test was about. Yeah, it's I think it's a little bit strange that they ask those questions uh, because I don't think it's a secret that you know there, there's been stories and and there've been problems in Russian refereeing. But like going to the test, I think you can just really maybe you know 
ban them for a period of time and this if this continues to keep happening then ban them uh for a longer period of time but the problem is that uh, lots of um russian referees like the management says they say we don't have enough uh licensed referees one of the issues was because then uh, when the video assistant referees started in russia uh, in the beginning it is it was only on two games out of eight in in, in a match day so like imagine two teams or four teams playing in, in one kind of game it, with one rules and others are playing with the others because you know when you have far and you don't it's a little bit of a different kind of game uh but the reason for that was because they didn't have enough licensed video assistance referees who could do their job and the same thing exactly happening in the top flight they don't have enough referees uh, to you know to just to ban them so that's why they've been a little bit careful and then like they gave him a second chance and that's the overall thing and I think it's not the football's problem; it's the refereeing problem. Like develop the the, the play, develop the, the referees, make more people licensed, make make this job um, attractive, and maybe with the financial, like I mean, the, the illegal financial high salary or something, just make it attractive. But it's apparently not, and that's why uh, really like they're trying to protect those referees mostly because if they ban somebody for a long time they ban a few referees there nobody will be able to to referee the game so it's it just you know russian football is obviously progressing and you know world cup was a big step ahead and especially in terms of stadiums and organization yes there are good things but there are still some uh, really horrific uh, aspects of the game which are uh, not even you know up to the highest uh, european standards you know, um, there was a joke in there somewhere that they should institute a polygraph test for all all the referees after every game, but then would quickly run out of referees. But <laughs> you basically made that a serious topic now, so <laughs> I feel like I can't really <laughs> joke about it anymore. Um, Andrew Strandberg, ten seconds. <laughs> Stefan Strandberg has signed now Ural's defence is absolutely perfect and Ural will definitely be Russian Premier League champions at the end of the season. Done. Beautiful. Uh, moving on to the <laughs> Russian uh, national team. <laughs> oh, you, were, you were serious about 10 seconds. Yeah, of course I was. <laughs> well, I think our listeners deserve to know quite how brilliant this signing is. No, no, okay, in seriousness, I won't go on. But it has been a good transfer window for Odal, and they, they desperately needed it, but it has reinforced the defence, which desperately needed it, reinforcing. It's, it's so interesting that the listeners uh, of, of our podcast, they get such a skewed, like, unique... Uh, really, uh, information flow. They get information about Askachimen and extremely a lot of information about Ural. And like, like you know, there's other clubs which have like interesting things. But no, we fully, fully get uh, people updated on that. Oh, oh no, no, see, I'm only, I'm only giving the public what they want. I mean, because those are the, the the most interesting sides. So you know, mm. I can only do what the public want. You know what the public probably wants to hear is um, about Russia playing their first game in the UEFA Nations League B. So I think we should move on to that. Um, Don't worry, Andrew. We get to talk about Ural next time. Um, (laughs) But, I mean, there's a lot of interesting things to unpack there. And I feel like we should just chat about it all. Um, You know, the, the fact that Russia are playing in a UEFA Nations League game, I think, the whole fact that we have international games happening in the first place is still kind of something that I'm trying to wrap my head around. I think um, about three or four months ago, I was happy club games came back. I didn't think we would actually have club and international games. Now we have pretty much all the games coming back again. So 
partly happy about this, kind of also baffled about it, really curious how this is going to play out when players are traveling to certain areas of Europe that more risk of COVID than others. Um, I mean, this is no problem in Russia. They got a vaccine on the market now. Everything is fine. Everything is safe. Uh, don't take this part serious, please, listener. Every try, every vaccine should go to phase three trial before release. But okay, boys, um, thoughts on these uh, games first against Serbia, then against Hungary. The squad is very, very mixed up. Um, we have a call up. Um, we couldn't make it because he doesn't have a valid passport. Yes, this is the 21st century. These things still happen. Um, Charlov, not even the U21 squad. Then there is issues here with Sobolev and Suba, who still thinks he's obviously the number one. Uh, guys, lots of to unpack here. Tim, why don't you start us with this first? Yeah, I'll start from the uh, team's squad. I'm interested. Yeah, that was for me one of the interesting things. And um, there was a few uh, what I call interesting um, call-ups, which we got, like, obviously, Galavin got injured. Uh, so that was, um, you know, obviously a blow for uh, uh, for the for the team. But there was a few questionable decisions. And uh, see, like I'm saying, questionable. But at the same time, Stanislav Cherchesov really earned the right uh, to, you know, to make those decisions because he, before the World Cup and throughout pretty much the whole preparation for the World Cup, there was some questionable decisions, but. Stanislav Cherchesov proved he's right, and he, um, you know, he, the, we know how successful was um, his uh, World Cup, um, Russia's, obviously, the performance. So, if there's a couple of, yeah, really weird ones, for, for example, there's uh, two players who called up uh, without the club, Roman Neustetter uh, and uh, Daler Kuzaev, both club people, players are without the club, so... You know, I'm not sure about this. Like, why would you, you know, make those calls? And really, like, the, the goalkeepers is also an interesting because we also get against Slav Janayev and Shunin. Again, like, you know, we have a couple of very talented players like Maximienka and Safonov, but apparently they, they need it in the U21 team. Uh, but overall, um, it is an interesting squad. And um, like I said, there are a couple of call-ups which i don't really understand but at the same time i don't don't want to criticize um stanislav Cherchesov because he proved his way of uh you know considering he uh, another question which is transition to the next topic and i'll uh let uh andrew speak about it the conflict between uh zuba and sobolev which wasn't really conflict uh, as the both of them said mm-hmm. uh, but uh, sobolev said a couple of uh unpleasant things about Zuba in the interview, then they have a cup game, uh, Spartak Zenit, and they pretty much had a, almost like, a, not a fist fight, but a very obvious conflict that they, you know, uh, they were yelling at each other, so uh, Stanislav Cherchesov announced that uh, he's, uh, he's happy with Sobolev's performance, but he's not gonna call up uh, him to the national team until they clear up the conflict between himself and uh, Zuba. So they made a phone call. Both of them said that the story has been ex- exaggerated. They pretty much put it, put it to bed. And then Evgeny Lutsenko from Arsenal got an injury and uh, Alexander Sobolev was called up. So now it's a good news story. 
And uh, people say that, you know, Stanislav Kerchesov, again, showed the good man management because Artem Dzuba is the captain of the team. Uh, Alexa, Alexander uh, Sobolev, he is just a up-and-coming new striker. So he he kind of stood on the sides of Artem Dzuba, but he asked uh, Sobolev to make the first step because he kind of was the first one who initiated this um, conflict, quote-unquote. So, again... This again presented as a good man management decision from uh, f- from Cherchesov. Again, those weird call ups, which I'm not sure about. Like I said, a couple of players without clubs are being called up. I'm not sure about this, but uh, Stanislav Cherchesov uh, has this right to make those calls because he proved uh, this decision. And again, he says, for me, it's very, very important the atmosphere in the team. I don't need any conflict. I don't need anything. We have the score of players. We called up a few new people, but it's really, really important for us after such a long break because the last game, the last game was like in November or something. So like for pretty much almost a year, they didn't get together. They didn't train together. He said, for me, it's very, very important to keep this atmosphere, which really proved success at the World Cup. And uh, maybe that's why he called a few players which don't have a club, but have uh, lots of experience of uh, playing for the national team. So that's kind of my take on the story. Andrew, go ahead. <laughs> well, I, you know, I'll tell you what, Tim. I definitely agree with you on the on the squad. My first reaction was extreme disappointment, if I'm being brutally honest. A lot of players in there who just see... It seems like it's a treading water, almost going backwards kind of squad. Because um, yeah, 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 when yeah. you see Fyodor Kudyashov, who has... He really didn't impress at Sochi, and he's now 33 years old. I'm not entirely sure what the benefit of having him in the squad is, desperately. And like you say, the unattached players, Neustad and Kuzayev, I can understand a little bit more. Uh, He did start to play a bit for Zanit, and, well, in terms of calendar time, not that long ago, but of course now he's unattached, still looking for a club. It doesn't send a great message, does it? Um, Although, having said that, I am really pleased to see Daniel Foreman um, called up to the squad, and uh, if he can get some game time, it'll be very important, because he's been one of the best midfielders, most consistent midfielders, over the last 6-12 months in the Russian Premier League, so that's a positive sign. Danny Pellegrino here with a very merry, iconic podcast, here to tell you about AMC+. Plus. With Best Christmas Ever on AMC+, Plus, every day feels like Christmas morning, from new holiday favorites like Elf, and one of my personal favorites, National Lampoon's Christmas Vacation, you can spend the holiday season opening up only the good stuff. Plus, you'll get a stocking stuff with highly acclaimed AMC series like The Walking Dead and Mad Men, new series like Gangs of London and The Walking Dead World Beyond, and you're also getting your favorite iconic Christmas movies without having to search. AMC Plus is available on all your devices. AMC Plus, only the good stuff. It wouldn't be the holiday season if there wasn't candy, right? Celebrate the holiday season with the Holiday Crush. They've sprinkled candy with a holiday theme and fun-packed challenges every week for five whole weeks, finishing on January 4th. The more challenges you complete, the better your chances of unwrapping delicious rewards. So, are you ready to crush the holidays? Play the Holiday Crush now. Download it from the App Store, Google Play, or Windows Store for free. Terms and conditions apply. And in the end, like you say, he's earned the right to pick a squad that fits him. He is the manager. He's got the right to choose a squad that has a harmonious atmosphere. I will say this, though. I do think he dealt with the Sobolev-Zuba situation fairly poorly. 
And in my opinion, it, it's really simple. He, sh he didn't need to go public. He should have gotten sat down in a room and said to them, right, if you want to both be in the squad, you need to be grown-ups and just sort it out. Whatever you said, if you both want to play, just be grown up and sort it out. I think he sort of hung Sobolev out to dry a little bit by, I mean, he's, he's 23 years old. Juba is 32. Juba is the talisman. He's the captain. He's, he doesn't have any worries in his career. He's got nothing left to prove. Sobolev is trying to break into the squad. He's, he's 22 and he's not made his debut yet, but he is one of the most informed strikers in Russia. So questions are always going to be asked. So why he needed to make it so public, I think was that was his mistake. Um, you know, I understand him not calling him up if it's not harmonious with him and Zubat, but sort it out. Make them sort it out. Don't do it out in public. But what's done is done. They've kissed and made up. They've got the picture. Sobolev's uh, hopefully going to make his debut, and he deserves to because he's been uh, in fantastic form. Uh, I do hope, though, that this squad is uh, evolves because there's, there's too many players in there who, quite frankly, don't deserve to be there. Um, so it's important though these games are important these Nations League games and Serbia and Hungary away Hungary I'm less worried about Serbia at home is it's a missed opportunity if they don't Russia have to win both games basically is my point um, so hopefully we'll see some two decent performances um, Serbia tonight uh, is a big game to start off with and um, we'll see if Sobolev makes his debut before we go to high spending CSKA, both of you with predictions for those games. Um, Tim? I think Russia will get um, four points, one victory, and uh, hopefully a tie against Serbia. Uh, so, victory over. So, like, yeah, let's say, I don't know, I'm not, I don't want to get the actual results, but let's say we walk away with four points. You think? What's your thoughts, uh, Andrew? I'm. I'm pretty much the same as Tim, but I'm going to be a little bit more optimistic. I actually do think with the experienced squad, I think Russia probably will win both games. Hungary, I'm much more confident um, about. Um, I, I think Russia will come to start off with two wins. Well, we'll see. Um, Nation League's games, um, yeah, as, as I said, we have an international break coming up and lots of interesting things um, happening, hopefully after these international breaks. Guys, Let's talk a bit more about the Premier League and some some of the bigger things that have been happening. And don't worry, Tim, we get to talk about the biggest thing towards the end of the podcast. You know, the highlight <laughs> always at the end. Um, but what's going on at CSKA? So they signed Bruno Fox for eight million euros. Bakhtikor uh, signed Nutinov for and Ado for Gaich, both for nine million. Am I reading that correct, or is only one of them for nine million? Yeah, one yeah, one of them for for nine. Actually, yeah, uh, Baktika Zainutikov was for two point two million. The mm -hmm. Gaich for nine, uh, sorry, Gaich for nine million, and then Ijuke they signed from Heronwin for eleven million. That's a lot of money for a club that hasn't really spent any money at all. So, yeah, Tim, what's going on there? Yeah, that's an interesting story because apparently um, one of the, I don't know the exact position because it's very tough in Russia with all those uh, managers and top people, but they're one of the person who is uh, the person of, who is the, in the top management from the web, who are they are one of their main sponsors because their stadium is called Web Arena. 
his name is Maxim Areshkin. I don't really know much about him, but I know that he is a very powerful and very um, important uh, person in the Russian government. Uh, he got involved with CSKA. Um, from what I heard, he is, he is a fan of the club and he also has a good relationship with Evgeny Giner. And uh, apparently that, um, not him personally, but he helped CSKA with some new sponsorship deals. And even there was a little bit of a joke. And I think one of the clubs who played against uh, CSKA really made fun of them because now their uh, uh, shirt looks like one of those, you know, Mexicans shirt like or like Brazilian when everything is covered with like logos of their um, sponsors. There's really a lot of new sponsors on their, on their shirt. So it looks like CSKA got the money and like we said, they brought very serious transfers. Like you have about three players uh, which are roughly around 10 million. So they roughly spent almost 30 million and for russian club it's a lot especially in a post-covid environment when you know all the, all the economies are suffering and cska spent so much uh, interesting i do not know uh much about uh, bruno fuchs adolfo gaich and uh, juke i don't know those players uh, this is the first time i brought them but cska known for really bringing and discovering really really good players we can remember uh um so much of players, I see, see, do, do, yeah, the, uh, lots of players who really came from nothing and then were sold to Europe for lots of money. Uh, but uh, I'm a little bit puzzled how they're gonna deal with that the financial fair play. But like you said, Manu, uh, the financial fair play is now a little bit relaxed it's because of COVID. So um, I'm very fearful because the, after the international break, uh, Spartak plays the derby against Teska. And uh, so CSKA will have about two weeks for those players to adjust. And obviously, it looks like those are quality players. So I'm fear of them. And uh, yeah, uh, we'll see. We'll see because they haven't played much for CSKA. Like, Juki just arrived. And uh, Gaich, I think he already played a couple of games. But uh, that uh, two weeks break definitely will help. And uh, I think they will be a force uh this season especially given all those very important transfers and given that for the past couple of seasons Cisca really have been uh, implementing uh, youth players who already slowly slowly getting some experience for example Zivayev who I think he's 19 or 20 he's a super young kid uh, but he's really getting some playing time at the Premier League and apparently he's super super talented has a very big uh, future ahead of him so they have quite a few of those young players who have been playing for the past couple of seasons and plus they got some really looks like exciting new uh, talented players from abroad they might be uh, forced this season so we'll see we'll see but obviously this is extremely uh, rare for the club especially CSKA who never spent money like they always get players for free or like just develop them for academy who spent almost 30 million euros interesting story we'll see how they deal with it yeah Andrew where is CSKA gonna end up with all this investment what is your thoughts on this whole story well like Tim says it's very very unusual for CSKA I believe this is their their most extravagant transfer window they've ever had uh, in terms of the funds that they've spent um i mean you look at the profile of these players it does fit the profile of players they've signed over the last few years all of them are 22 or under and have a huge resale value adolfo gaich i think in particular he had a really good reputation in south america where i 
think they uh, he was with the Argentinian under twenty one or under twenty three side they won an Olympic qualifying tournament. And he was quite a coup, I think, because a few European clubs were interested in him. And I don't think he's likely to stay a great deal of time, but I don't think that matters because Tiscar do need to develop as many funds as they possibly can. They still have a certain amount of stadium debt, as I understand, to pay off. Um, but they needed competition for Fyodor Chalov up front. That is, uh, it's been a shame to see Chalov after... His 15-goal season, what was it, uh, not last season, season before, last season he struggled for goals and mostly because he it, so much weight was on his shoulders. So Geich is hopefully going to prove an option for them. Um, but they, they bring in good young players. They've now got to deliver them. So in terms of where they're going to finish, I think they have a real chance to finish in the top four. Um, Spartak obviously are looking in great form, top of the table. Um, the leaders, nobody is above them at the moment. This is um, correct. I, Tim, did, Tim, Tim did you, I just confirmed that for us. It is correct, right? Yes. Uh, <laughs> um, Zanit, of course, well, there's Zanit. They will be extremely powerful. I do think Spartak will finish in top four as well. Uh, Krasadar have to be surely up there. So, really, the next spot, I think Lokomotiv might be the team who, who drop out of that contention. I did think they would be up there, but now they've sold Alexei Venenchuk, you've got to start questioning. Um, it's going to be a challenge, but I think they possibly, possibly could challenge for that top four. You are correct. Um, this is the most that they've ever spent in a transfer window. Uh, I just I checked the database and that is bang on. The only time they came close to give you... Uh, perspective on this was in 2012-2013 when they spent uh, about 22 million euros on new players. Who did they bring? Uh, they brought in Mario Fernandez that year, Wagner Love, oh. Rasmus Elm. Uh, yes. yes. Uh, yeah, and, that, and that was a good side. Yeah, and then the only other window that comes close was in 2010-2011 when they signed Sado Dumbia and Soran Tosic for a combined yeah. 22 million euros. So, and I think Tubir was as well around then. And yeah. that again allowed them to build a very strong team. Yeah. Uh, which, which won the league. Exactly. So this is interesting because, you know, they are kind of, it seems like they were gearing for like a big run. And obviously the yeah. financial situation has changed um, in that part of Moscow. But um, we want to we want to focus on another part of Moscow, Tim. Yes, um, please. It's been one thousand one hundred long days. This has been worse than the siege of Saint Petersburg. <laughs> you have finally regained that top spot uh, in the Russian Premier League, one point ahead of Zenit. Feels so nice. You have no idea. It's so great. Um. Yeah, well, we've been joking about it, but yeah, I'll give my serious opinion on what's happening. I'm very, very happy, uh, and I think we need to really to highlight the success of Domenico Tedesco, who came in as pretty much really an unknown coach who had a wonderful season with Schalke, but then completely uh, had a disastrous season to follow that good season. So we didn't really know what to expect. Uh, he came uh, in after... Um, pretty much hated coach Oleg Kononov who who failed uh, his job at Spartak. He came on uh, in November 
and finish the season and he said right away uh, before he arrived the team had I think five straight losses or five games without a victory and he says okay we have a few games left before the winter break don't expect anything beautiful from me I just need to get some results and we need to structure everything and really those games were not pretty but he somehow balanced the situation then he spent um, the winter break and he really spent time uh, setting up his style of game and uh, I was absolutely amazed uh, how the team looked because he set up this proper Bundesliga football with high press with lots of running with really aggressive um, like I said aggressive high press as soon as they lose the ball they go into the into the press and they have been extremely successful so after that winter break I was I was so happy to see the way the team played they were very well uh, physically very strong physically they the team was ready and I think there was about three four games which they played they were absolutely I, I loved it um, they were impressive and then the COVID hits and obviously a lot of uh, gaming time oh, sorry a lot of gaming style is based on physical conditions and obviously when the team was at home for two for two uh, months the physical condition was gone so the end of previous season was not not great there were some good and bad parts but I think um, through those end of the season he was getting ready for this season because we were like really I think 11 for something before that when the COVID hit and there was no chance pretty much no good chances of getting to Europe there was only a big hope to win the cup but I think he was really focused to this, the rest of the post-COVID season uh, just to focus on set everything up and get ready for this season. And it worked. And this season, the team really pretty much uh, continued the trend which they started. But um, that few days of uh, vacation really helped them. They recharged and they started playing the new focus. Um, I, I love watching the I love watching the the team the players progress. Uh, uh, Larson has been just phenomenal. The son of legendary Henrik Larson, uh, Jordan Larson, this place for Spartak Upfront. He has been very impressive. Alexander Sobolev, who uh, we already spoke on the podcast, also he has been scoring goals and making assists and being very important. And um, some young players, uh, for example, uh, Andrew's old friend uh, Maslov, who plays right now as one of the center backs. Uh, very oh. young kid. See, I paid you back with with the uh, nice uh, <laughs> reference. Um, so I'm just uh, Mano. I'm amazed. I'm a big fan of uh, Domenico Tedesco right now. I'm I love him. He's so emotional. Some people say he's too emotional. He already had quite a few yellow cards and a couple of red cards. Just being extremely emotional on the side of the field. But I love it. He's passionate. Uh, he speaks Russian. It's um, it's amazing. In in less than a year, he learned Russian. That he answers the the question from a reporter in Russian language. I absolutely love it. Uh, the fans on his side and everything is going well. I don't think Spartak is a title-winning team because I think Zenit in the end will get it and we have like competition. But Spartak, I think, will uh, be around European Champions League places. And uh, it will be a force uh, this season, and I'm extremely happy with uh, Domenico Tedesco. And the, the average age of the team is 22, 23 years, lots of young players. So he's building a team for, for the future. And yeah, so this is my summary. I'm happy. I love Domenico Tedesco. So thank you, Mano, for uh, giving us a very good coach.
<laughs> I I had nothing to do with it. I mean, you well, know. Well, you you represent Bundesliga, so <laughs> say hi to Gig and Pressing friends. Thanks to Chris. <laughs> well, probably they are probably all shocked that it worked out so well for him um, after a very disastrous season in Schalke, but. You know he's he's still very young. Um, I think he'd probably be the youngest show, youngest person on this podcast if we ever had him on. Um, just yeah, to... and he we have Andrei Yeshenka who is older than him, so one of the players is older than the coach. Yeah, he's thirty four. I mean, he had a bad year at Schalke, but anyone who knows a little bit about the details of what was going on at Schalke, uh, you know that that club had its issues. But yeah, um, I think we kind of have to leave it here, boys. It's been very enjoyable being back on the show. Um, very sad we didn't get to talk about Sochi challenging the two big teams at the very top of the table. I'm just joking. We're not going to talk about that. We're actually going to call it an end of the day. Um, this has been so much fun. Tim, other than probably already bathing in champagne every day because Sparta got <laughs> first, what are you up to uh, these days? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, those. Uh, yeah, after we finish the the podcast, there's a bath of champagne is waiting for me. So I'm gonna be quick. Uh, my band is currently recording the new album. We're in process. I'm gonna go to do some vocals tomorrow um, at the studio. So there will be some music from my band uh, by the end of the year, maybe early next year. Uh, so that's my focus right now. And people can follow me at Rocket from Russia on Instagram, and the band is Russian Team and Pavel Bures at uh, Instagram as well. Wonderful stuff. Yeah, and give that a listen. listen. Uh, Andrew, what's going on with your life? Let us know. This is your platform. Well, I will be following the UEFA Nations League this week, of course, um, on, on Twitter and everything. So, yeah, I started a new job today, which is thrillingly exciting. Um, but most importantly, I cannot wait to get right back into Russian Premier League action because I'm going to look forward to Oral and Spartak battling it out for the title. Wonderful! What? Ah, <laughs> 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 uh, you got me there. <laughs> oh, nice try, Andrew. We're gonna cut that part out. Now I'm kidding. We're gonna leave it in. But yeah, boys, that's it. Um, we'll be back next week, hopefully with another episode. Until then, dos vidanya. <laughs> This episode is brought to you by Nourish by Nature Made, the number one pharmacist-recommended vitamin and supplement brand. Nourish is a personalized vitamin regimen customized to you. Backed by 45 years of science, they remove the guesswork from your vitamin regimen. With thousands of happy customers, Nourish is a trusted supplement brand by many. Visit Nourish.com to create your customized package today. listening to believe you can show support to your host by subscribing to the show and giving us a five-star rating on your preferred platform check us out at believe.com and search for b-l-e-a-v on youtube
You know when you're listening to a true crime story that has an unbelievable plot twist that makes you stop in your tracks? That's what our podcast, People Are the Worst, brings you with each episode. I'm Rachel. And I'm Rebecca. We're identical twins who love true crime cases that make you say, didn't see that coming, and we hate the people responsible for them. Listen to People Are the Worst now on Apple, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts.